Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be storming today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then we'll be seated. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be together. It's just a great privilege to have your word open in our hands. Father, I'm recognizing that there are We need your Holy Spirit speaking this word to us today. We thank you for writing it for us. We're praying that you'd also minister it to our hearts. And as we're asking for illumination regarding the signs of the times, it's just very much on my heart that we need your the illumination of your spirit as we read these words. I pray your very near presence to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Rebecca and I are missionaries. We've been missionaries for 32 years, and you think we'd get used to this by now, but whenever we come to the United States, there are new things that we discover. And uh, this time, as we were crossing the country, we wanted to minister in the churches in Kansas, and so it was necessary that we drive on Interstate 25. That's the first time I've ever been on I-25. So that's a new experience for us. And Rebecca said, why is it that there are these signs every now and then that say no unauthorized vehicles? Only It says only uh, authorized vehicles, emergency vehicles, are permitted to use the U-turn. Said, why would that be? Because they make these nice paved areas every now and then connecting the north and southbound lanes of I-25, but every place there's a sign posted saying it's only for official use and only in an emergency. She said, why do you think that would be? And I said, well, first of all, I always give her a sarcastic answer. And I said, you're only asking because you're a Texan, and Texans just cross the median whenever they feel like it. (laughs) But actually, I didn't know why they would put those crossovers and then put a sign saying no one can use it. I didn't understand that for about an hour, and about an hour later... We came up over a rise, and here comes a wrong-way driver in the fast lane of I-25. Well, I had never seen that in my whole life. I'm 57 years old, driving on freeways in the United States for a lot of those years. I've never seen a wrong-way driver on the interstate. And uh, a few minutes later, I got to thinking, what if I had been trying to overtake a semi when that guy just came up over the hill like that? Well, about an hour later, here comes another one. Wrong way driver on the interstate. Anybody ever seen that before? Well, you're not used to driving I-25 in New Mexico. Here's what we realized. Those turnabouts that they made for emergency vehicles to be able to make a quick turn so that they wouldn't have to go six or seven miles to the next off-ramp, get off and come back the right way, They made a U-turn across the median. And now civilians have discovered that they don't have to go 
down to the next exit that might be six miles away. They enter the interstate wherever they feel like it, and they drive the wrong way until they get to one of those crossovers. Well, now it started to dawn on us why there are these signs. It's to prevent wrong-way drivers taking shortcuts. Well, anyway, I just give that to you as a, as a word to the wise. If you're ever driving on I-25, be careful before you overtake a semi. You don't know who might be coming the other way. But it occurs to me that there are signs that are very clear signs. We can understand what they mean, but we don't understand why they've been given. The part of a sign is not only understanding what it means, but also why it's been given. And God is a, a master at signage, and he gives us clear signs, but his signs are so often rejected. In that passage that Nathan read for you in uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is speaking to his adversaries, to the scribes and the Pharisees, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they asked him for a sign from heaven. Jesus is so wise and such a great preacher that even when he's preaching to people who are opposed to him, he knows how to turn things back to them, to turn their own questions back upon them. So in verse 2, he answered and said to them, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather because the sky is red. And then in the morning, you say, well, it's going to be a storm today because the sky is red and threatening. And then he says, you hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. The signs of the times. Jesus was so wise. If you, if you don't have your uh, Greek New Testament in front of you, let me just give you a hint. When they asked him for a sign from heaven, the word that they used to translate it into Greek was uranos. Uranos is this the sky that you can see with your eyes, the heavens that are up there. And then Jesus said, when they asked for a sign from the Uranos, then Jesus said, well, you already have the signs in the Uranos because every day when it's evening, you say, well, it'll be fair weather because the sky is red. In other words, every day in the morning and in the evening, God gives you a brightly lit sign in the heavens. And you know how to read the signs from heaven. That's not the sign that you need. He's so wise and so good at how he turns those back. My question for us today is, do we know the sign of our generation? Matthew 16 is a generation I call the Messiah generation because this is the generation in Israel that received the Messiah and didn't recognize him. They didn't discern the signs of their times. But there have been many generations in the Bible that received a sign. I believe God gives signs to most generations. And many generations in the Bible saw the signs but didn't understand the deeper meaning, didn't know why the sign had been given. Think about the Moses generation in Egypt. That's a pretty clear case. The Generation in Egypt that Moses was sent to received a very simple message. You could probably complete this sentence. Let my people, let my people go. Very simple. And then he gave them signs that they all experienced and and could recognize very clearly. 
For instance, the water turned into blood. Very difficult to miss that sign. Frogs. I don't know how you feel about frogs, but that's a very difficult sign to to miss when they're all over the place. Flies, hail, disease, illnesses, boils. The signs were very clear, and he gave ten of them one after the other, and they all reinforced the message, let my people go. But they rejected the sign. That was a sign that was not accepted. And so, the Lord came to the last, the tenth sign, which involved the death of the firstborn. And after that sign, Pharaoh agreed that the people could go. But then he repented and sent his army after them. And so, the entire army of Egypt was destroyed in the Red Sea. They didn't accept, they didn't recognize the sign of their times, the sign of their generation. It's not that they didn't see it. It's that they couldn't accept the meaning behind it. Well, think about the exile generation in Judah. You know, uh, God had ten tribes in the north and then two tribes down in the south. And he sent to the tribes in the north prophets. We'll think about Elijah and Elisha. And he gave them signs from heaven. Fire came down from heaven and burned up the offering. There were signs from heaven. But the people rejected those signs, and God eventually sent that entire nation, the top ten tribes, those northern tribes, into captivity in Assyria. And God said, I thought when I did that, that the two southern tribes, the tribes of Judah, would have seen what I did, and then I sent them prophets like Jeremiah and Hosea. And they had signs, like Hosea who married a prostitute as a sign, like Jeremiah who had the scroll, had the clay pot, the earthenware vessel, and had the potter's wheel. All these signs. But even though they saw what happened to the northern tribes, and even though they heard my prophets and saw my signs, they didn't accept it. So important. And such a disaster when a generation refuses to recognize the signs of their times. What about the flood generation? Noah was building a giant ship. It was visible from a mile or more away. People could see it. It was a huge sign. And they said, what is that thing for? Well, obviously, it's a ship. It floats. There's coming a big water. The people rejected that sign at their peril. It was a disaster. Every living soul died except for Noah, his three sons, and their spouses. What about the wilderness generation who had seen all of the signs of the Moses generation in Egypt and they got free. They were released from bondage in Egypt. They came through the wilderness. They had signs from heaven. They had manna that came down every day. They had a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And when it came time for them to enter the promised land, they said, we heard there's giants in that land. We're not going there. There's big, tall people, and they're mean. (laughs) What a disaster it is for a generation who receives the sign of God to reject it, to 
failed to discern the meaning behind it. And now here in Matthew 16, the Messiah generation, uh, Jesus says, you can discern the signs in the heavens, but you're not discerning the signs of the times. The Messiah came healing the sick. He made the lame to walk. He opened the eyes of the blind, even those who had been born blind. He raised the dead. And they said, well, couldn't you show us something in the heavens? They had all the signs that God desired for their generation, and they weren't accepting the meaning behind them. And Jesus said, beginning the second half of verse 3, you hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Jesus had before told us in chapter 12 of Matthew, the sign of Jonah is that as Jonah the prophet was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah is... I'm going to die, be buried, and rise again the third day. That's the only sign you get. Friends, how crucial it is that we discern the signs of the times for our generation. And since I just have this one time to chat with you, and then Rebecca and I are gone for another three years, since we just have this brief time, I thought, how could we best make use of this time? that you could come away with something from the Scripture that would be life-changing and that would be a great blessing, a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. And I felt that if we could grasp what are the signs of the time for our generation, that gift would allow us to live wisely in the very best way possible. And I've been asking the Holy Spirit to give us that gift that we could grasp the signs of our time for this generation. If you had been hoping that I was going to uh, tell missionary stories, I will have a few, but that's not really the main thing we're going to be talking about. The main thing is this. Do you know the signs for this generation? Jesus gives us two signs, and I'm going to ask you to turn now to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, if you were doing the study of everything Jesus says about end times, I'm sure you could have many points. I'm reducing these to two. Uh, two main points that Jesus gives us, two primary signs for our generation. And when we turn to Matthew 24, there's some uh, Bible interpretation principles that i like for us to keep in mind. Some people uh, err when they come to Matthew 24 and 25. This is Jesus' Olivet Discourse, because we call it that because he was on the Mount of Olives when he gave it. And uh, some people miss the context a bit, and it causes them to get into difficulty in their interpretation. But in Matthew 24, if you notice the first verse, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said, Do you see these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, there they are uh, to the east of the temple, and he's looking down on the temple buildings. And that's when they ask him, uh, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? 
Jesus had refused to give any sign to those who were rejecting the signs of their generation. But now he's talking to his disciples and to believers. Uh, But I want you to notice that these are Jewish believers. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives and they're looking at the temple. And his Jewish disciples are asking him specifically about the temple and about the future of that temple. So we sometimes get into error when we take the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 and apply them directly to our situation. Because these are words that Jesus has given to his Jewish disciples to understand that generation. We might call it the tribulation generation, the generation that will experience Jacob's, Israel's trouble. However, some of the things in Matthew 24, Jesus specifically says, are for the whole world. And those are the things that I want us to be noticing in particular today. Uh, verse 14, for instance, is for the whole world. Let's just start in verse 10, and I want to take us down to verse 14. He says, Jesus says, many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Uh, Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Uh, Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So this is one of the signs of the times. The gospel to all nations. There's a couple of things that I like for us to, to understand about this. When Jesus said this gospel we preached for witness to all the nations, he's not talking about everyone who signed the UN Charter, nation states or our modern nation states. He's talking about what in missions we call people groups, ethnic groups, groups of people that speak the same language and have the same shared culture. There are thousands of people groups in the world today and about a thousand of them in Africa that are still unreached. So an unreached people group is a people group where you could be born and live your whole life and die without ever hearing the gospel of Christ Jesus unless someone from outside your people group comes and shares it with you. That's an unreached people group. But here Jesus says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. He means that these thousand that are still unreached with the gospel, they will have the gospel preached to them. And then the end will come. So then this leads me to try to connect, correct another error that we sometimes have. Uh, sometimes people who are very zealous for missions, well, they're going to preach a, a, a sermon about missions, will say, well, Jesus cannot come until we finish our job of proclaiming the gospel. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, Jesus is not depending on you and me to finish his job or to fulfill his promise. Jesus made this promise because he's of power to fulfill it. He also gave us a commandment in Matthew 28 to take this gospel and make disciples of all nations. There's the commandment to us, and there's the promise from him. But Jesus does not depend on us getting his commandment right for him 
to fulfill his promise. No, sir. He is a great captain and a great king. And Jesus has told us already that he has a great plan. And he has over 140,000 people whom he has chosen, whom he knows, and whom he will send out in the last days. You read about this in Revelation chapter 14. He has a plan and he has the people to do it. That's three times more, roughly three times more, than the number of cross-cultural workers that Jesus has full-time today. Oh, friends, he can accomplish this in time. Jesus could come today and still fulfill this promise. It doesn't rely on us. It relies on the faithfulness and the power of his word. And Jesus is going to ensure that this gospel is preached in every people group and for every nation. But I want to encourage you that it's happening. Jesus could come today. He could come today and this gospel is is even today being preached among the nations at an increasingly rapid pace. Many of us, I'm looking around and I'm seeing that I have some contemporaries here. We have some young people, but I also notice I have some contemporaries here. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you're like me and in your 50s, you remember very well that we had a thing in the world called the Iron Curtain. So I'm going to get all of our seniors to identify themselves. Who remembers the Iron Curtain? Well, yes, we remember the Iron Curtain. I had this forcible reminder of this on Friday when I went to see my dentist, and as I was being helped, uh, the lady who was helping me said, I'm from East Germany. And I remember this day that you're talking about, that week in time, I remember it very clearly because I took everything I owned and I put it in two plastic bags. I had $5 in my pocket, and as soon as the wall came down, I was over it in a flash. I ran to freedom with everything I could carry with me. Most of Europe and Asia were cut off from the gospel, forcibly separated from the gospel of Christ Jesus that was not allowed to be preached. The lady I talked to on Friday said, I couldn't hear this message until I got to the West. But in one week that we remember, Jesus broke the Iron Curtain the gospel moved rapidly across Eastern Europe. And I remember when Russian Christian Radio moved from Estes Park, Colorado in 1990, the very next year, and began broadcasting the gospel from Moscow. It happened in our lifetimes. I remember in Bible college, the Chinese people could not receive the printed word of God in their language And men and women from my Bible college used to go as tourists to China carrying illegal copies of the New Testament in Chinese so that when they would get to China, they could deliver these Gospels. And people would divide the books of the New Testament and share them among the underground churches. It was the only way for the word to be spread in China. In our lifetimes, we remember But in 2006, I went with two others of my brothers. We received a consignment of the Bible in Chinese, not just the New Testament, the Old and the New Testaments in Chinese, printed in Shanghai, China, and we distributed them 
God is powerful and is making a way for his gospel in every nation. Three months ago, I was in Korea with my son, and we visited a church, and they showed to us how they have a plan for taking this gospel into the north as soon as their immigration laws are changed. As soon as they're able to take the gospel, they're going. And they explained to me certain ways they have of preaching the gospel in the north even now, In our generation and in the last 10 to 15 years, this gospel is spreading in the last stronghold of that wicked one, the Islamic world. The last time I was with you, I just uh, shared with you, Rebecca and I were going to a Muslim people group, and I shared that the last barrier to the gospel is Islam and how cracks were beginning to appear in that solid wall of Islam. Today, you're hearing from your own missionaries working in Indonesia the most Islamic nation on the face of the earth. And there are Muslims coming to faith in Christ, being baptized by the dozens and the hundreds. It's not because we're better missionaries today than we had been. It's the power of the gospel, and it's the sign of the time. This is their time. I'm sorry, I got behind on my slides. This is when when you sent us out last time. This was in 2012. Uh, Rebecca and I moved into a, a people group, an entirely Muslim people group. We didn't know how we were going to go about doing this, but uh, we found a welcome, and they were willing to rent to us. This was a house in the middle of a guy's farm. We're just living in his in the middle of his farm and renting that house from him, $45 a month. I got that beautiful 600-foot house and 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 a classroom. And the men told me, yeah, you could pray, you could sing hallelujah, I don't care. You're in the middle of a farm, nobody's going to hear you. <laughs> and we got to know them. They're rice farmers, there's Rebecca learning what to do with rice. We didn't know, we thought rice came in plastic bags. <laughs> and we learned their language and began to share with them the stories of Jesus in their language. Now, this is just Christmas of 2014. Christmas of 2014, less than two years later, and there are 300 meeting together with us, hearing the story of Jesus' birth with their village leaders. We have complete freedom, really, to share the gospel. Isn't it amazing? Among animistic people, it would take longer than this. But now, in 2018, there are house churches planted that have already planted other house churches who are now looking to plant the third generation of house churches. Friends, I've never seen the gospel spread more rapidly than it is in this entirely Muslim people group. And that story could be repeated over and over across the Muslim world today. Amen. Well, I'd like to just end the message right here. But I did promise that there were there were two signs. Jesus said there's the sign of the gospel which will be preached in all the world as a sign to all nations. That's really exciting to me as a missionary. I hope it's exciting to you. But in all honesty, I have to tell you that Jesus also gave a negative sign, a warning sign. He said that there would be a falling away or an apostasy. If you still have Matthew 24 open, I would just like to point out to you uh, in verse 24, Matthew 24, 24. 
It says that uh, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. There's a, a falling away that's coming. There's a great deception that's coming. And uh, often I think we neglect to study what that deception is. We neglect to take the time to identify it. Uh, because we think, well, we're, we go to community Bible chapel. We're students of the Bible. We can't be deceived. If we think, can I just say this to us right now? If we think that this word is not for us, that we will not, will not be deceived, then we've already been deceived. Friends, Jesus is warning us here that a deception is coming that's so great that if possible, even the elect would be deceived. And I want to turn now to Second Thessalonians, a letter that was written not just for Jewish believers, but was written for the church, written for people just like you and me. I'm going to put the message up on the board. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and with our and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as though from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So this is a deception that we're warned to be on guard against. And that's the deception that somewhat one might say the rapture has already happened. This is what he's talking about. The coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, that's the rapture of the church. Don't let anyone deceive you that that's already happened. So, in case you were worried about it, the rapture of the church has not happened yet. (laughs) You you can at least go home relieved about that. Uh, But he wants to, to, first of all, be on our guard against that deception that the rapture has already taken place. And then he says, let no one in any way deceive you. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the man of lawlessness is revealed, that son of destruction. He goes on to talk more about the man of lawlessness. I don't want to camp on that. I'd really rather talk about the apostasy and how we prepare ourselves not to be deceived in that falling away. One of the signs of the times is this rapid spread of the gospel around the world. The other is this falling away that likewise will spread around the world. In Romans chapter 1, the progression of this apostasy, as it's been seen at various times in history, is described. And it begins with a, uh, a rejection of those signs that show that God is the creator. It's a rejection of God as our creator. And that's how this apostasy begins and how it has begun at other times around the world. The Bible documents a number of times where this sort of apostasy has happened, uh, a denial of the creator, and then a dis- the destruction or the attempted destruction of his institutions, uh, followed by immorality and license, and then culminating or... Uh, or, or degenerating into homosexuality, and finally, 
homosexuality, not just of men, but also of women. So then this is the very depth. And what the Bible has shown us in various places, among the Canaanites, this happened. Also among the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, this happened. Also uh, in Israel, among the tribe of Benjamin, this happened once. And when this happens to a society, when it's become entirely degenerate, God destroys the society and establishes another one in its place. That's a pattern that we see in the Bible. In Romans, we're told more about that pattern and how to identify it. Uh, So here's the word. Uh, There will be an apostasy, and it will involve a great deception. And this will spread through the whole world. That's one of the signs of the times. And I bring this to you for your observation. I give you that booklet so that you can study it in more depth and decide whether it's true that this is something that's happening in our time. The the apostasy is a sign that's been given to us to notice, and I'm asking you to decide whether this is happening in our times. Uh, I'm noticing, I'll just tell you this, Uh, Because I'm a pastor both in Southern California and then also in Africa, I I went back to my home church in California and discovered that there was hardly a family, hardly any families in my home church, that doesn't have at least one person uh, in the extended family who's dealing with gender identity issues. And let me tell you something, 30 years ago, we didn't know that there were gender identity issues. We didn't even know that there was such a thing. Uh, and, and if you had told me 30 years ago, people are going to, uh, people are going to be involved in homosexual marriages, I would have said, that's impossible. That could never happen. But now not only is there homosexual marriage, but we also see a, uh, a rapid increase so that uh, now in the universities, you really have to determine what your gender is. And even high school students, and I'm hearing, even those younger than, than high school, are dealing with these issues and being asked to investigate them for themselves. I can tell you that when I was in high school, nobody asked me to check and see whether I was really male. Uh, that was just something that was understood in those days. I hope no one's hearing me preaching against the culture or as though I'm kind of a raving conservative. Uh, really, I'm telling you this because it's the sign of the apostasy Somebody would need to say to us, listen, Jesus said this was going to happen. Now, is it happening? So I ask you to consider whether this is happening in uh, Texas. If you think it's happening in Texas, I can tell you it's worse in California. If, if you're alarmed at what you see happening in the United States, let me tell you, it's worse in Canada. If you think this is just a North American phenomenon, let me tell you, it's, it's worse in Europe and spreading to India, and also to East Africa. This is becoming a worldwide movement, just as the movement of the gospel is spreading as a worldwide movement and entering every corner. In the same way, the deception of that wicked one is also overwhelming in the way that it's flooding into every corner of our world at a rapidly increasing pace. Don't be alarmed. This is the sign of our times. This is the sign of our times. 
I've given you this booklet. Actually, this has been printed by our church here at CBC. They've borne the expense. They've put the booklet together for you. Uh, and they're encouraging you to read it. I would also encourage you to read it. Because we look at the signs of the times and why Jesus preached to the Pharisees and the Sadducees saying, you're hypocrites, you haven't discerned the signs of your generation. And not simply that we would recognize what's happening, but also that we would take some action. For every generation that receives a sign from the Lord, there's some action that he desires. And the action that I would like to encourage with regard to this negative sign, the sign of the apostasy, is not that we would be afraid of our culture, but that we would be very clear with our culture about why. Why is God so strong on marriage? Why does God judge so severely homosexuality? Why does he do that? In our generation, people think that sins that hurt other people are the bad sins, and the sins that don't have a victim are not bad sins. But from the scriptural perspective, anything that defaces God's creation, anything that tries to destroy God's institution, that's really bad. I've learned that, and I've always said, we preach grace. Let's share grace. and Let's overcome evil with the grace of the gospel. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that if we do that and if we neglect to warn our children, and if we neglect to give them a solid foundation, they end up in an ocean, an ocean swimming with debris, and they try to keep their head below radar. They drown. And so my encouragement to you is that don't duck these issues with our young people. They need to understand how that in the first verse of the Bible contains all godliness that might be able to, to uh, protect them against the deception and the apostasy that's coming. I, I hate to see our university students who've grown up in Christ Jesus and grown up in the church and who, when they get to university and are overwhelmed by the voices of the world, don't have an answer, don't have anything that they can say. So my encouragement to you would be to get the training yourself, to learn from the scripture why that first verse of the Bible is so critical, and then share that information with your young people. And then regarding that first sign, the sign of the rapidly increasing progress of the gospel around the world. Can I just encourage you that if that's what Jesus is excited about, and if that's his promise to us, and he's going to make sure that it happens, and if that's his command to us, make disciples among all nations. I know he's going to fulfill this promise. I know he doesn't need me. He doesn't need AIM. He doesn't need Colin and Rebecca to fulfill his promise. But I want to be part of it. Would I want to walk off the field and let the 144,000 preach the gospel to people that I might be able to reach? If there's a possibility for me to be involved, I want the biggest 
part I can possibly have. When Rebecca and I were getting ready to go back overseas, we had been ministering for 16 years in a very, very remote animistic people group called the Dasanach. Is it remote, David? It's remote. Three and a half days past the end of the tarmac. Very remote. When we were ready to go back the second time, I thought, I'm just going to be working in an office or something, probably in the city somewhere. And my mission asked me to lead a team to an unreached people group, pioneering with the gospel among a Muslim people group when I was in my 50s and losing my hearing. And I said, this feels like a guy who's in his 50s and has been asked to come back with his football team for the Super Bowl. And he thinks he's going to have a clipboard and stand on the sidelines, but they say, no, we want you to throw the ball. Wouldn't you love that? I want every minute of playing time. When we finish this job, if there's another people group, we still have enough years of life to go to. We want to go. We want to get this gospel out to the thousand people groups who haven't had it yet. I just can't feature. I talked to a young man today who also wants to be part of this. Well, that's a kindred spirit for me. I just can't see being a, a young person with your life ahead of you, knowing that what Jesus wants to do is to get the gospel to the unreached, who wouldn't say, let me have all I can, all I can handle, and all I can be made to handle by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody want to say amen to that? <laughs> If you're saying amen to that, would you just stand and receive this benediction? Now unto him who is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery that's been kept secret for long ages past, but now has been revealed and has been known by the scriptures of the prophets and the commandment of the eternal God to all nations for the obedience of faith To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen.